So I am going to preach one of the messages that I shared on the, the first message that I shared on the first night of the conference in Fiji. And so, because it contains really a, a powerful, potent truth that we want to consider and uh, something that even as I prepared it and ministered it, and even still, it uh, weighs heavy upon my heart and uh, no doubt upon each of us as we consider the Word of God this morning. But 1 Corinthians chapter 9, as I said, the, the, the conference theme was abounding in the work of God. And it was based on 1 Corinthians um, chapter uh, 15, verse 58, I think it is, where Paul writes and he says, uh, Be steadfast, be immovable, um, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. And so really that word is for us all, that we would give ourselves to the work of the Lord. It's one thing to be a Christian, it's one thing to go to church, it's one thing to um, be, you know, do those things, but when we talk about the work of God, the work of God is, involves, it involves effort, it involves time, it involves sacrifice, it involves so many different facets if we're going to do the work of the kingdom. And that the Lord said that, that uh, God, uh, Jesus himself said to pray that the Lord of the harvest would send out laborers into his harvest. Laborers. God needs laborers. And he needs workers. People that will engage in the work of the kingdom in all of its different aspects and variations from evangelism to discipleship to missions. I mean, you name it, there's so much that is incorporated in that particular work. And so that was the theme, abounding in the work of the Lord. And so I want to share some things that uh, uh, I, I spoke on that particular day in relation to this particular message. And I uh, want to allow God to speak to us this morning because likewise, in, in a conference, you get to address these things and we get to get refocused and revived and renewed. That's what conferences are like. But uh, we as a church also need to come into that place and be reminded of the importance of these things. And so we're going to read our text in just a moment. But I want to look at it in two aspects uh, this morning. And so uh, we're to abound in the work of the Lord. And this obviously relates to the first one being evangelism and the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's one aspect. And then the second aspect that we are uh, uh, called to is to the act of service and what the Bible calls making disciples. Go into all the world and what? Preach the gospel and make disciples. And so that's a twofold instruction, command from God that applies to us all in the work of the kingdom and uh, doing uh, God's will. So it's those two aspects that we want to consider. And it's in the context of a, uh, a sermon that I've entitled A Stewardship. A stewardship, as the word is found in the translation that we will read from, but we'll look at it in more depth and detail. So a stewardship, let's read in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and we'll start from verse 16. Paul, the apostles, he writes and he says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity... Is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. 
For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. What is my reward then? That when I preach the gospel, I may present the gospel of Christ without charge. That I may not abuse my authority in the gospel. Now, I just read from the New King James Version, right? And there are obviously different translations. I'll read a couple of them and we'll go back to another one later. But in the complete Jewish Bible, it says, if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if I do it unwillingly, I do it simply because I've been entrusted with a job. A job. I've been entrusted with a job. So rather than the word stewardship, it's translated a job. That makes it sound exciting, doesn't it? (laughs) A job. And uh, in the New Living Translation, in verse 17, it says, if I, was, I was, if I were doing this on my own initiative, I would deserve payment. But I have no choice, for God has given me this sacred trust. And there's another example of the word. A stewardship, a job, a sacred trust. And really, when you think about it, all the translations, they capture... The, the essence of the word in its, in its varied, and there's still a little bit more that we'll go into, but just giving ourselves an idea of what we're dealing with, a stewardship, a job, a sacred trust. And so this is the, the basic premise, this is the motivation of why we are to do what we do when it comes to the preaching of the gospel. Paul says, for if I preach the gospel... I have nothing to boast of. Now note those words. There is no prestige in the preaching of the gospel. You know, we were talking, uh, it's funny because you see it it in Pacific nations, you know, a pastor is like a title, you know, pastor, Gary Fitzgerald, pastor, pastor. But you know, the word pastor is not a title, it's just a function. It's it's just a function. So when you're pastoring, you're a pastor. But if really, the way I see it, if we're not pastoring, I'm not a pastor. I I don't hold a title. Pastoring is just a function. It's a ministry. And when you're serving in that capacity, it's relevant. But when you're not, you don't hold to a title. And so, so, because really ministry is not something to boast of in that context. Sure, you might be a pastor, you might be an elder, you might be in some prominence position, if you want to call it that, but, but that's not how the scripture sees it. It's surely not how Paul the Apostle viewed it. And so he didn't see it in the context of some selfish ambition, although the Bible says it's good to desire to be a bishop. It's a good, pure motivation to want to, if God's called you to that, or if you desire that, the Bible says that's commendable. It's a good thing. And God's big enough to sort through our motives, okay? You know, not everyone's got the purest of motives, although we like to think we do, but some of us don't. But you know what? God takes us and he sorts through those motivations in the process of him working in our hearts. But Paul says, and Paul is one of those that's come to that place where he understands the reality of what's been entrusted into into his hands. It's not about him and his prominent position. It's not about him having personal gain. It's not about him using the gospel for money. In fact, that's the whole point of the text. He says, uh, I don't even, he said, I didn't even take advantage of the fact that I could possibly 
uh, because God has commanded those that preach from the gospel to live from it. But he said, you know what? I didn't even avail myself to that right. In fact, he said, I didn't take anything from you because he had an understanding of these things. And so there's nothing to boast of because there's really nothing in and of ourselves. It's not a selfish ambition. It's not personal gain. It's not position and power. It comes down to this. It's a responsibility, a sacred trust, a job. It's a responsibility that God has given to his people, to God has given and put into the hands of the church of Jesus Christ. And we know, we're familiar with the Great Commission. Go, this is a command of God, go. Go into all the world. This is not an option. This is a command that requires obedience. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. And then, so that's one aspect. And part of the Great Commission is the second. Go and make baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, making disciples of all nations, making disciples. And obviously, I have mentioned, I, I did preach a, a message, as you know, on discipleship, and it was an introduction. And it's something that I am planning to get to, and I want to do a, uh, concentrate more on and do a series on in the weeks ahead, uh, the Lord willing. But I, I still keep getting drawn to some of these, uh, some of the things that we keep talking about. Uh, Israel, obviously, we've been considering, and now this. But also in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, there's a familiar portion of text where the Bible says that God has committed to us, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19, that is that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. He has committed it to us. And so here you have Paul in our text in both, in, in both letters. And these words are very weighty. These words are very heavy. When you take the time to consider them and meditate upon them and ponder just exactly what God has done and what Paul is talking about, and this, this burden, if you want to call it, which it, it is in a sense, is something that we share collectively as a church, but it is also something that bears on us as individuals. There's a twofold aspect, and so it's the, the responsibility of the church, but the church is made up of individuals, we know that, and so it comes down to us individually as we consider this this morning. Now, Paul says in our text, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. On what basis? Listen to what he says. He says, For necessity is laid upon me. Necessity is laid upon me. Now, these are really important words for us to consider. He says necessity. That word necessity means, he says, I am compelled. I am under a compulsion. Necessity is laid upon me. Also, the word carries with it an element of distress in that it's, it's, uh, um, it's, it, he has to bear the weight of that responsibility. It's a necessity. He has to do something. 
He can't not, to not do anything is, uh, would, 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 would uh, pain his heart and he would be in a level of distress because God has committed something into my hands. He's given me a responsibility and this is not just to Paul, mind you. This is collective and individual, as we've said. Um, sure, we have different functions and ministries in the body, but these two aspects relate to us all. He says, necessity, compulsion is laid upon me. That word laid means imposed. It's imposed. This is not something that Paul has thought up himself. This is not something that he's conjured in his own heart or thoughts. This is something that has been put upon him. Necessity has been laid upon me. By who? Obviously God himself. Now, this doesn't take away from the fact that Paul still has to make choices in life. This doesn't take away and negate the fact that Paul has to respond to this. He has to rise up and take on willingly that responsibility. And he is free to choose, just in the same way that we are today. We are free to choose in relation to these issues. And choose, Paul did. And though he felt necessity, though he felt a compulsion... He didn't act on the basis of guilt. You know, it's very easy to feel guilty, even when we talk about a message like this. You know, guilt, and mind you, guilt's not always a bad thing. As long as it's by the Spirit of God that brings a conviction in our heart to want to try and move us in a direction. Not, so, but we never act on the basis of guilt alone. We act on the basis of our love for God. We back, act on the basis of because we realize I have a responsibility and the weight of that bears individually upon us. Paul could not be content in doing anything else. And that's how the calling of God works in our lives. Necessity has been laid upon me. And so we need to be able to identify with Paul's heart this morning as we consider this. Because this is how the calling of God works. Necessity is being laid upon me. I mean, I can talk about, we can, Paul can talk about himself, I can talk about myself, you can talk about yourselves. But this is very individual, very personal. Because God needs to put this into your heart. You need to embrace this personally. You need to take an individual responsibility in the same manner that Paul the Apostle did. And because, you know, we're all called this morning to preach the gospel to all men. And sure, we have different ministries, but we're all called to share and to preach the gospel. And when we willingly bear this responsibility, the weight of this will occupy our minds. It will occupy our actions. Because we will say, like Paul says in the text, he says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. Now listen to his next words. He says, yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Woe. I mean, these are heavy words. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. Now capture this. This is not Paul saying, uh, curse be I if I don't preach the gospel. Paul is, uh, is putting forth the fact that 
He's under compulsion that he, as we know, we'll see, he has a stewardship. He realizes the great responsibility. And he says, if I fail to fulfill what God has called me to do and requires of me, then he says, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel because I will bear the continual burden of grief of disobedience to God. That's what he's saying. I won't be able to live with myself knowing that I haven't obeyed God's will for my life. I won't ever be comfortable or content knowing that I've neglected the very things that God has called me to do. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. He says, I'll bear a deep grief personally in my own life if I fail to do this. Now think about Paul's words this morning. Have, have you ever thought that way? Have you ever thought that way? Have you ever felt this? Have you ever identified that responsibility where God has showed you personally something about what he wants you to do or something concerning his will for your life, especially in the context of this, what we're talking? Uh, can, have we ever f- felt like Paul in our, in, our, in our response? Because this is really insightful. This is really heavy to deal with. Why would Paul feel like this? Well, look at what he says in verse 17. He says, For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if, I, if, if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. Now, notice what he says. He says, he says I'll read another translation. It says, If I were doing this on my own initiative, I would deserve to be paid. If this was willingly something that I had conjured up myself, then I deserve to be rewarded. I deserve a payment. But he says, what I'm doing didn't originate within me. He says, listen to what he says. He says, uh, I, I, he says um, I have, uh, I'm doing this. If I do this against my will, he says. If against my will. In other words, he says, I don't have a choice. But if I do this against my will... I have been entrusted with a stewardship. See, Paul is telling us that, that this response, this sacred trust, this job, this responsibility, this stewardship has been put into my hands by God. It wasn't my own initiative. And if I act, I act on the basis not because I want to be rewarded or deserve anything. I'm acting because... I am entrusted with this by God. God is the motivation of why I do what I do. He's saying it wasn't born of me. This is not my own plan, but this was something that God birthed in me and was born in my own heart by the Spirit of God. Now notice he says these words in verse 17. I have been entrusted with a stewardship. Now, I want you to focus on these words for a moment because it's interesting, the word firstly, entrusted. Now, in the Greek, it's a, it's a, familiar, te- in a familiar word. It actually means it's the same word that we use when we talk about f- faith. You know, the Bible talks about having faith in God. We are, uh, faith is a substance of things hopeful, evidence of things not seen. And we, faith is the act of trusting God, entrusting God for our salvation, that He accomplished on Calvary. So faith is believing and it's trusting God 
and, uh, and it's committing ourselves to him that he's going to do what he's promised and we trust him uh, for, uh, based on, upon his word and his promises. That's faith. Now, the word faith here, Paul is using the same Greek word and, uh, and it's saying to entrust. So God is saying, I'm entrusting the gospel, Paul, to you. I'm putting my faith in you. Now, think about that. Think about Jesus, right? He trains 12 disciples and they are a motley crew. They are not polished. They're not educated. They are not from the upper tiers of society. They're fishermen and they're zealots. And I mean, these are a rough bunch of folk. And Jesus, for three years, he trains them and he disciples them. And at the end of the three years, they deny him and they all run from him and forsake him. I mean, talk about what would appear on the surface as a failure. And Jesus then rises from the dead and he commissions them and he puts faith and he entrusts the gospel to these men, these 12 men. And yet we know that on the day of Pentecost, because they were told to wait until that day in which they would receive power, power to be a witness, power to boldly proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, we talk about it later, it says those uh, have come here who have turned the world upside down. I mean, this is phenomenal. But it illustrates the point that God entrusts us. You know, God can take ordinary people like you and I, and he can work in us and through us to his glory. And he's entrusted us with this gospel, with this, with this stewardship, as Paul would refer to it. Now, this is sobering. That's why Paul says, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. Now, this word stewardship is also an interesting word. Because in the King James Version, which I hadn't quoted up until this point, but it actually says in the King James Version, it says um, uh, God has uh, a, disp a dispensate. Paul says, a dispensation of the gospel has been committed to me. A dispensation of the gospel has been committed to me. And that word dispensation is really important because this is what gives us further insight to the word stewardship. Because again, in the Greek, this is interesting because have you ever heard of the term dispensationalism, right? You know, it's debated in all kinds of uh, uh, theological circles. But you know what? Regardless of how you want to look at it, if you strip it down to its basics dispensationalism is biblical because we're talking the word dispensation simply means in the greek it comes from two words it means uh, 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 one oikos which means a house and nomos which means law it means so the laws that that govern the household and so that's a dispensation and so when you look at the various dispensations in the bible the first we kind of think of is the obvious, we talk about the, we are under the dispensation of the church, right? And so the church that was birthed on the day of Pentecost, the church that, uh, that was the mystery that Paul writes about in Ephesians 3 that was revealed and now come to light and manifest, Jesus said, I will build my church, the church. And it's a distinct entity apart from what? Israel. Israel is a nation in the flesh. We understand Israel in spiritual Israel, which involves the Jew and the Gentile and the church being made one in Christ. But we're talking about different dispensations. 
And we're talking about the law of Moses. We understand the law of Moses as, we, as it's revealed. That's a dispensation. It's a, it's a stewardship. There's the laws that govern the law of Moses, but they don't apply to us now as a church, do they? Because when they sat down in Acts 15 to debate the law of Moses and that dispensation uh, and the rules that, supply, uh, that are revolved around that household, and the, uh, uh, then they said, no, we're not going to impose the law of Moses onto the Gentile church. And so it's a different dispensation because we're under grace. And it's, we call it the dispensation of the church, the dispensation of grace. And Paul says, I have been entrusted with a dispensation of the gospel, of what the gospel is. And it's interesting because that's exactly what Gareth did when he taught on the book of Galatians. He, like Paul in the letter, was highlighting how Paul fought vehemently for the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that it would not be corrupted that it would not be uh, uh, incorrupted by the false teachers that were trying to impose the law of, of Moses and circumcision amongst those. And Paul said, not for one moment, we will not compromise the truth. And so, so we, 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 we contend for the, for the laws of the house, the law of faith and grace that we find in the scripture, which makes us right with God. We're justified by faith. And this, this is the beauty of these things. But Paul is saying, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. That's why he wouldn't compromise for one minute when it came to the gospel of Jesus Christ and all that God revealed to him and showed him. And so this is obviously not just the preaching of the gospel in terms of salvation and the need to be saved, but also in the raising of disciples so that they can become mature in Christ and they can have the foundation of Christ laid in their lives. Because if you don't build on Christ the foundation, then, you, uh, the, then the, the structure ultimately gets all, all wonky and, uh, and as, the, as years go on, when you don't build on Christ and the, the solid gospel uh, then the, um, the errors will manifest themselves as I've seen and as they always do. So Paul says, I'm, I've been entrusted with a stewardship. It means an administration, managing, being responsible for that dispensation. And it means an economy, an economy, or in other words, you know, to handle and to manage this dispensation. That's what Paul was doing and that's what we are we're, called to do as well in our own way. But in 2 Corinthians, talking about the gospel, Paul, again, remember we read it before that God has committed to us the ministry of reconciliation. That word ministry, or committed, sorry, there is a different word than our text. That, uh, and it actually <coughs> means um, uh, to be put into our hands. And so God, as, what does it say after that? As though, as we speak on Christ's behalf, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled to God. And so now we're God's voice. If we don't speak, if we, we're his hands and his feet, and all of a sudden in terms of going and bringing forth the gospel, and so we, we bear that God has put this ministry into our hands, this administration into our hands. And that's why Paul is saying, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. Woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. You see, we need to 
like Paul, take ownership and responsibility for the work of God this morning. In fact, it is our duty. That's not a nice word in this current generation. Duty. It's your duty. It doesn't, that doesn't ring true to a lot of people in, our, our, uh, in, in this generation. But duty is not a dirty word. In fact, it is a healthy word. It is good. And, uh, you know, Jesus said that we are unprofitable servants. When we have done all that we've been asked to do, what is our responsibility, uh, we, we are, at the end of the day, we are unprofitable servants. We have done what was what? Our duty to do. You don't, so, so can you see that? And so, in other words, what, what the Bible's teaching us is we have a sense, we, we are to have a sense of obligation. A sense of obligation. Again, this, this is misunderstood. The best way I thought I could illustrate it was in a marriage. Or if you're not married, well, <laughs> you'll understand maybe possibly one day. But you'll understand it through other means as well, just by the Bible, really. But let me illustrate it this way. When you get married as a man, and you become, as the Bible says, the head of the household and responsible for your wife and children. Let me ask you the question. Do you love getting up for work every day? Do you just can't wait till that alarm goes off in the morning and just, you know, oh gosh, praise the Lord. (laughs) Good on you, brother. Some do. I know there's some that don't. (laughs) But, um, but, But you know why you do it? Because it's my duty to do it. Because I love, love's not, I don't feel, love's not a feeling now, love's an action. It's an act, it's a doing. Well, I get up because I love my family. I've got to provide for my family. I've got to provide for my wife, my children. And it becomes a, a, it's a job. It's a, but it's not just a job, it's a sacred trust. It's a, it's my stewardship of my family. I, and so that becomes a very potent motivating force in that. And there's nothing wrong with that. Of course, we do it because we love. That's the whole reason why we have a sense of obligation. Love is always the, 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 to be that motivating factor. Like the Bible says, it's a, Jesus, uh, it speaks about Jesus, it's a delight to do his will. His commandments are not burdensome. No, the love of God is perfected in our hearts that, that his, his, his commandments are not a burden in that sense. They're a responsibility and they, that necessity is laid upon us, but they're not a burden in that way where we're just like, oh, do I really have to do this? I don't, you know, if, no, we do it willingly. And so Paul said, woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. You know, and I, we've, we're all familiar with Isaiah 6 where um, uh, the prophet there is, has a vision of of God, and he sees the, the holiness of God, and uh, he's just overwhelmed at the, at the glory of God, the holiness of God, and God speaks, and then God says these words, who will go for me? Who will go? And Isaiah responds, and he says, here am I, send me. <laughs> here am I, Lord, here am I, send me. See, he's putting himself forward. Or, you know, in other parts of the Old Testament, it says that God looked for a man to stand in the gap. 
He looked for somebody to take responsibility. And so this is what I'm saying, is we have to have an ear to hear and a heart to, to hear the, the heartbeat of God and the will of God and the purposes of God this morning. And so we need to also take into account Paul's words this morning in the context of which they're being spoken. And I ask you this morning, has necessity been laid upon you? Do you feel that responsibility? I better keep moving, I'm going to go too long. Okay, the second part, I'll just touch on this briefly because I don't have time. But um, in chapter 4, go to chapter 4 of, of 1 Corinthians. He says, this is the second part. We said we evangelism, and now we've got the issue of discipleship. He says in verse 1, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in a steward that one be found faithful, faithful. And so again, he's talking about the fact that they are stewards of the mysteries of God. And they are handling God's word. And they're talking about the making of disciples. Because remember, previously in chapter 3, Paul's dealing with the church and there's sectarianism. There's a group that's saying, I'm of Paul. Oh, I'm of Apollos. Oh, I'm of Christ. And he says, wait a minute, guys. This is how it works. We're just servants of the mysteries of God. We don't, we're not, we, each of us is just fulfilling a function and a role. That word servant uh, actually just means an attendant of the king. It means a subordinate. In actual fact, the direct translation means an under oarsman or a subordinate rower. Meaning I'm just under God's instruction. I'm just under God's uh, 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 authority and I'm acting out on the basis because I'm a servant of the king. That's why we're doing what we do. And that's the process in which we're operating, and we're stewards of the mysteries of God. And he says one of the qualifications of a steward, what does he say? He says he must be found faithful. Faithful. Faithfulness, church. This is so important. I can't overestimate, uh, over, over, un, overestimate the, this importance. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. That's what qualifies us for service in the kingdom of God. It's not about your gifts and talents and everything that we have to offer. It's faithfulness. God just needs faithful people because faithful people can be entrusted with those responsibilities. Faithfulness is the, is the key. And that's why Paul said to Timothy, he says, God counted me faithful by putting me into the ministry. Faithfulness. And then Paul would instruct Timothy in 2 Timothy 2 and he would say, take these things and commit them to who? Commit them, there's that word again, to entrust these, these truths to what? Faithful men. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. People that are dependable. That you know they're going to be there. Because they have taken on the responsibilities before the Lord. Now I want to just quickly move on. If I can go back to the text, I won't go any further there. But in our text, Paul goes on to talk about, and you've, we're all familiar with it, where, where Paul talks about serving all men for the cause of the gospel. He says, I've become all things to all men, that I may win them all. But it's, and, and he, he goes through that in, from verse 19 to 23. But I want to draw your attention to verse 24. Because he says in verse 24 onwards, in these closing verses of this chapter, some words that really are, profound and important for us to consider. 
Because it's talk, he's talking about the, the discipline, I, is, is really the word, the discipline that's required to fulfill and qualify for the calling of God in our lives. And he says, do you not know that those who run in a race all run? Everyone runs, but only one receives the prize. So he's using an illustration of competition, a race, a, run, a race. So only one can win the race. I know that nowadays they want to give everyone a medal, but it doesn't work like that, okay? That's not life, because even when they do that, they all know who came first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, you know what I mean? Kids, it's, it's in, innate in our nature. But only one receives the prize. And he says, run in such a way that you may obtain it. So Paul is getting us to focus and understand that we have to run and conduct ourselves in a manner that we can obtain the prize, so we're not just to go about it in some haphazard way, as if somehow it's all just going to come together. We have to be deliberate in our approach to this, is what Paul's saying. And he says in verse 25, everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. This is really convicting verses, church, I must, must say. Everyone who competes for the prize is temperate or self-controlled in all things. And now they do it, to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. So Paul is saying that we need to self-discipline our lives, regulate our lives, temp- make self-control and, and, and organise our lives like somebody, an athlete, like somebody who's running a race and wanting to win that prize. And you know, when athletes train... You, you, have you seen, have you heard the stories of those that win gold medals at the Olympics? And you hear about they've got no social life, they get up at four in the morning, they train hard, they work hard, they go to bed, they have diets, they don't go to the parties, they don't do this, they, they vigorously, they, their lives are vigorously regulated and self-disciplined and that's what enables them to reach those heights and to actually win a gold because otherwise you can't just turn up and you know, somehow you know, like me, <laughs> I think you're going to win, I'll fall over after 10 metres. But you get the point. And this is what Paul's saying. And so he says, they do it for a crown that's perishable. What, for a, for a gold medal? Or for a little ribbon that says you came first? Or a little trophy? Hello? Paul says, forget about that. He says, the discipline of it is great. It's commendable. And he says, I want you to take that, but I want you to apply it to your spiritual life. I want you to apply that to your Christian life. I want you to apply that to the work of God. Imagine we all took that approach. It would be a completely different story. We began to prioritise those things in that way. But he says, we do this for an imperishable crown because we will have a reward. It's not the reason why we do it, but nevertheless, the Bible's clear that God will bless us and we will receive our rewards in heaven. And I would rather, amen, our heavenly rewards than the earthly ones, true? And so Paul says in verse 26, Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. He goes, I'm clear in my mind. He says, I don't, I'm not just like a boxer just going, you know, in a fight. He says, no, I'm very calculated and pack my punches and I'm really disciplined in how I'm going about this. And so he's, he's very single-minded. And I have known men like that in my lifetime. 
I've seen men like that, and I have to say, I commend them greatly. Even though know, I may disagree with various aspects of things, of their teachings or whatever, but I, when it comes, to, it's like what I said to one man, I said, your life is a life to be imitated, not regulated. Because when it came to follow, as Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. He says, follow my manner of life. Watch how I live, what I do, and imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's, that's powerful. And Paul could say that. That's why he says in verse 27, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified. God forbid, he says, that I would become disqualified from that because my life would not add up to what I'm, what I'm saying and what I'm preaching. And this is really heavy. These are challenging and convicting concepts for us all in our own, in our own ways. We're all under the microscope of God's word this morning. And so I'll close this just with some, one last thought in relation to this because Paul writes when he touches upon this to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, we already looked upon it a little bit, where, where Paul says, he says um, in verse 2, and these things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men, who will also be able to teach others. You must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And so we were looking at this, and Colm touched on it in the conference as well, and it was, it was coming through because we looked at disciplines of a godly church, disciplines of a godly leader, disciplines of a godly um, worker, all of those things. And, and, you know, you can't escape the military, this militant example as, as a good soldier of Jesus Christ could you imagine the soldier you know when a soldier goes out to war he's disciplined he's been trained you know he's just not out there just you know punching the air these people are focused and that's what Paul's drawing on and he's drawing upon these analogies of of the military and he says in verse 4 no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. We're enlisted as soldiers. So therefore, now listen to what he says, and also if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So again, he's using athletics. And then he says in verse 7, consider what I say. In other words, he's saying, I want you to ponder upon the points that I've just made, and I want you to realise the point, that what I'm trying to communicate what the Spirit of God's trying to say to us this morning. Consider what I say. We're soldiers. We're athletes. And we have to conduct ourselves. It's great to do it. It's great to go to the gym and do all the physical exercise. Paul says in another place, he says, physical exercise is profitable. It's good. But he says, discipline yourself towards godliness. Imagine we took the same disciplines that we give ourselves to in life and we applied it to our spiritual life, to the kingdom of God, the work of God, then, how different would it be? Consider what I say, is what Paul said. And so, let the weight of this, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. And though we may be called to different ministries, at different functions in the body of Christ, we're all called to preach the gospel and to make disciples. And so, let's consider these things this morning. Let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing. Father, we just come before you this morning. God, in light of your word, Lord, 
We can all sense the, the same spirit, God, that Paul had and felt as he, as he identified this stewardship that you had entrusted to him. And Lord, surely, God, it's a responsibility that we all bear in some way. Because, Lord, you have called us all, God, uh, into your kingdom. And we all must be about the Father's business. We all must preach the gospel. Why is me if I do not preach the gospel? And so, Lord, I pray that you would speak to every heart this morning in accordance to your will concerning every life. God, for you have a plan and a purpose in Christ for all of your children. I pray that each one would identify that and be obedient to it and pursue you, Lord. And God, consider the words of Paul, that we are soldiers, that we are athletes, and we are to take these things in, and these attitudes and these dispositions into our spiritual life. God, help us, Lord, to walk worthy before you this morning. I ask your blessing, God, upon all your people. In Jesus' name, amen.